0: Hi everyone, my name is Phil Santor and I'm on the Spark team leading our business development efforts. This was our fifth year doing Trek, and we did something a bit different this year and partnered with the Ann Arbor District Library to record some conversations live during Trek. So we wanted to interrupt your feed here to give you a little bit of an overview of those conversations. If you're not familiar, TechTrek is an open house of technology companies in downtown Ann Arbor and we had a few thousand people out this year, including people from over 30 states and 15 different countries if you can believe that we're going to release each of these conversations separately but this episode is a bit of a review of all of them this conversation features megan zaremski of Vocker chemical which is looking to do more and more work in the ann arbor area and brooke boyle of engage which is uh, does a number of different things in the area but one of those is called the connector program which brooke will get into in the conversation uh, and talks a bit about how they both networked within Ann Arbor as newcomers to the area, and sort of what that process was like for each of them.
1: So, I, when uh, when Phil first introduced us, I mm-hmm. thought that you were from San Francisco. So right. I immediately launched into, a, "I was in the Bay Area too yeah. for a while." And I think you were kind of like, "Well, that wasn't I was I was, I was, I, was I'd drop, I was visiting." <laughs> yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, I moved here five years ago, mm-hmm. but you are not from A transplant yeah I actually
2: yeah. lived in Ann Arbor for 10 years now which is the longest I've ever lived anywhere so I really okay. consider it home right it feels much more like home than anywhere anywhere else I've ever lived
1: do you, why do you know
2: I describe people in the Midwest are real nice if someone's talking to you and being nice to you it's genuine and I even
1: like the way that you said that. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's actually a Michigan thing or not because I haven't been here long enough. But r- they're real nice. Yeah. Actually, has yeah. a little it's bit of a southern. Yeah, nice. like, it's not nice. It's not fake <laughs> nice. Real nice people. Yeah,
2: yeah. They're not just doing it because it's good manners.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I first moved here, um, I met the guy who was stocking produce at the grocery store that was mm-hmm. closest to our house. Bushes yeah. uh, on the west side, and. Uh, and I felt like we weren't going to be best friends, but like I felt like I actually had a relationship with yeah. him as we talked. I don't. I don't know wh- about what. Uh huh. And I that continued to be my experience in yeah. every interaction yeah. that I had. Is people actually like when they said, "Hey, how are you doing?" They actually meant it. Or yes. when they said hi, they made eye contact. Yep. And you you actually said hello to each other, and uh, there's a there's a difference. It's, yeah. It's on purpose. Yeah. But I think. What is remarkable about Ann Arbor, it took a, a while for me to actually figure out how to dress here because it didn't matter. Yeah. It, and, and nobody really dressed up, you just kind of, yeah. you, you showed up. Yeah. you the person, whatever, whoever you were, whether it was a fancier dinner or not, mm-hmm. you, you saw the whole gamut. Uh, and I think for my kids it's really cool to watch. So my girls are um, nine and seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or in elementary school at Ann Arbor Open, and they, it does not, the kids show up in all sorts of stuff and mm-hmm. they don't get ridiculed for it. Good. There's, there's, there's zero, they don't care. Yeah. Pajama Day is celebrated, like I think most kids really enjoy Pajama Day, mm-hmm. but there are days where kids are wearing their pajamas yeah. and on, on a normal day. And
2: I think it's good to encourage children to express themselves however they want yeah. to. Do you have yes. kids? I have a daughter who's just turned three
1: when, uh, when we moved here, my uh, so my husband goes to U of M, mm-hmm. uh, is on the faculty at U of M, and I um, had the benefit of the career placement department mm-hmm. through the provost office, helping me just kind of figure out like what, um, what the landscape was for me professionally mm-hmm. here. And I was consulting with families with infants that were going through a medical event at the time. Yes. Um, and so I was getting to see what the resources are here for families mm-hmm. um, and those especially with young kids. And as a mom of, a two and three year old when we were moving here, it was like, wow, this is a great place to raise a family. Um, But I also really loved culturally what's available to adult and Mm -hmm. just imagining us putting roots down here. Mm -hmm. I got got giddy excited and I would like stomp my feet into the ground and be like, I I wanna get rooted here. Yes, Um, I understand that completely.
0: This conversation features Lisa Silvey of Synecdoche Design and Mike Lorenzano, who is the CTO and co-founder of Clink. Clink had just announced a fairly large Series B investment that they had received from some VCs that they're working with. Uh, And I really like Mike's take on the importance of network over just capital when it comes to uh, taking on venture capital, and then also a bit about how Mike views Ann Arbor. So here's a brief overview of that conversation.
2: So I guess for all four (laughs) of you, right,
0: Yeah, Um,
2: before kind of all of this serendipitously happened, did you actually, were any of you planning on starting a tech company, or were you planning on being more involved in the academic side?
3: I was definitely not planning on starting a tech company. Even when we founded the company, I thought to myself, even today maybe, I think that it's like, it's this crazy dream that you're not really sure if it's real and it's gonna work. Yeah. Um, and it certainly was the case when we founded the company. I was like, oh, I, th- I, wanted to be, I wanted to be an academic. I wanted to, you know, I was, my whole life was geared around, you know, my work life was really geared around lining up interviews at the top schools on the West Coast and, you know, like some of the really, you know, like the mm-hmm. Stanfords and the, you know, UC San Diego is a school I went to, and yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a city I really enjoy. And so I was working hard to, like, get my resume and my, and my network to the point where I could actually do that kind of thing. Clink was Clink at the time was just uh, like oh something else is something I can do to hang out and keep myself busy while I'm finishing preparation and graduating. Um, it turned out to actually be really really interesting and challenging and meaningful in a way that I didn't expect at, 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 at step one, which nice. is really which is really cool.
2: Well, then in terms of marketing yeah. it, in Ann Arbor, we have what I hear is a, a very small pool of talent, so. Uh, having that marketing and that status of this kind of elevated knowledge and this kind of rapid pace kind of evolution yeah uh, how does that help you for recruiting you know how, how are you pulling people in because you're between the institution and the private sector and you're growing generally just yeah I mean ha- lots of hires and lots of sure. new ideas
3: I mean there's a bunch of things that kind of intersect there the you know having the having the presence at the university if you will is, is a pretty is a pretty useful networking tool and so mm-hmm you know as a research fellow there i and you know Jason Lingar professors there they interface with a lot of undergraduates and t- like talented undergraduates that are going to be graduating soon so oh. of course you can you know as a as a sort of as a sort of talent pipeline it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a uh, you know it's fantastic the the research lab plays into that too if we you know having the best technology is kind of part of having the best technology is part of building a great product and staying ahead of your competitors but it's also like it is what drives engineers to want mm-hmm. to to want to work there, and it, not just engineers. I mean, you every everybody looks at the tech Everybody you know who looks at it, they look at our technology. and They're like, that is just so cool. I want to work there, even if I don't understand whether yeah. you understand it or not. It's just like, oh, it's this it's this really awesome you know, it's this really awesome technology. It's just like I want to be involved with it somehow, and so it it is this pull that you mm-hmm. co- having that having this bleeding edge technology that's in an area that's so interesting and hot is is really just an important pull Mm -hmm. um, kind of across the board when it comes to recruiting, Mm -hmm. whether it be junior engineers, senior engineers, executive level talent, anything in between.
2: Let's talk specifically about your headquarters is growing. You're in in an incubator space right now. I'm designing your new headquarters in Ann Arbor. or our architecture studio is. And so. Synecdoche Design. Synecdoche Design. I can say it right, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Will always be the the other difficult name to say. Um, So you guys are growing really fast, hiring a lot here. So tell me uh, a little bit about growing in Ann Arbor, why this is a core space that you want to grow in, and then where Mm -hmm. else are you guys growing?
3: Yeah, I mean Ann Arbor is our, you know, I think the, so we we're founded in Ann Arbor. Uh, our, our founding team, I think, we, I think the four of us initially met in Ann Arbor. Um, all, like, every, you know, our first office is in Ann Arbor. We kind of grew up here. We have ties to the, have kind of some, some serious ties to the university. Yeah. Um, and I think, so as a, you know, I've lived here for about five years. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm part of the, you know, I'm part of the community. I love Ann Arbor as a as a city. It's a you know beyond just being a a place with a an absolutely fantastic university. Uh, go blue! Mm-hmm. And, uh, where you know you have like one of the you have one of the top engineering schools out there. You have you know relatively low cost of living.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know you have a great community out there. You have a burgeoning you know tech. Technology scene, some a great entrepreneurial and, and some emerging investor community mm-hmm. as well out here, and so it's a really fantastic place to be running a high tech business. Um, you know, on the on the more practical business side of things, of course, there's the you know the university is like a is a is just a talent center mm-hmm. for you know engineering and business, you know the Ross School of Business as well. So you kind of have a talent center for like. Every function you could imagine in a <laughs> in a software company, which is awesome, and that doesn't just inc- that doesn't just mean fresh graduates. You have mm-hmm. you know I I can't remember who I was, I was talking to someone about a week ago and they, they call it, they call them boomerangs, but it's people who mm-hmm. have a Michigan connection. There are a lot of people that have Michigan connections mm-hmm. either through the university or they used to live here or something like that. And so having having the having like that like the university itself has like this giant network yeah. that really allows you to kind of attract talent back to Ann Arbor mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases. So. It's just a, you know, it's just a fantastic place to, 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 to run a company, mm-hmm. in my view.
2: I mean, like, there, there's a, That's the there, there's yeah. a young <laughs> entrepreneurship com- community, I think, just in, in Ann Arbor yeah. in general, that really yeah. kind of supports uh, a lot of these, these kind of markets. So. Yeah, I
3: mean, the, we, we were fortunate not to be the first entrepreneurs in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, We had some great mentors in other entrepreneurs. Um, You know, the folks at Trove and Nutshell were some Mm -hmm. have been some really influential mentors. Um, It did a lot for us in our early, you know, in our early days. Where, you know, you know, when you start a company with four people Mm -hmm. and no money, you just like you're just a bum. You know, you have (laughs) nothing. You have like we have an idea and nothing. We have an idea, right? And that's all you have. and we were fortunate enough to have have some have some connections to be able to you know we we got some we got some office space just out of the out of the kindness of yeah. of people's hearts and out of a out of a you know desire to like see the see the entrepreneur and the tech community communities grow and so and gotten some good advice uh, along the way and pointed in the right direction in, in a lot of places mm-hmm. by those by by the by the by the other folks in the community here and you know I don't it would have been a lot not saying we couldn't have done it but. It would have been a lot rockier if we didn't have those yeah. those influences around. That's and so. So we did that uh, mm-hmm. we did that seed series with uh, Michigan Elab. Then we we did a Series A in the uh, in early 2017 with Drive Capital, there uh, a firm located in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. There's some they're, they're basically some Silicon Valley rock stars that decided to go you know take over the Midwest in terms of venture capital and their 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 I mean. Their advice and and uh, insights to into, like all aspects of running a business are, have just been absolutely tremendous. Um, so
2: along with money, you also get coaching. Oh, way, absolutely. Right? I mean, I think Lean. that's
3: I think that that's often uh, it's often something that pe- people you know the news in the news yep. story it's you know it's x it's 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 millions of dollars. It yeah. doesn't really talk like what you're one of the real values that you're getting is that partnership. Yep. And so, you know. They, you know, people say that it's actually it's like a marriage uh, mm-hmm. where when you're getting into a, a, a business partnership with with venture capitalists. I think it's probably even it's even I wanna say worse. I was gonna say worse. My wife would kill me. <laughs> uh, it's even more serious than that. It's mm-hmm. it's you know you're 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 co owning a business with someone that you you know you've you've been you've met yeah. for a couple of months and it's gonna last for a long time and there's not like there's no way out of it right yeah. so you and you're going to be you're going to be working on and focused on the same solving the same problems and there's going to be some like running a business is not easy there are challenges mm-hmm. and it's going to get rocky at times and like you guys you have to you have to be able to get through that with them and so having the and so part of what you're getting there is like you're getting a partner mm-hmm. to help you problem solve and you know if you, if your partner if the partner that you're getting as 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 an inexperienced entrepreneur if the partner we're getting has great networks has seen this has seen Things in our in our you know in in enterprise software or in whatever in whatever related areas or whatever areas related to Clink, yeah. that's it, those are insights and those are networks and those are experiences that can that they can bring to the table yeah. uh, and help you know help us build our dream right. Yeah. And so that's a that is almost more I think that's more important than the
0: than yeah the just
2: about va- the knowledge value
3: exactly.
0: This conversation features Dave Haviland and Anne-Marie Sastry of Amasite. This was part of a Spark Grow. Uh, podcast series that we'll again be releasing separately from this discussion Uh, but this is a little bit of an overview about how um, Anne Marie focuses and thinks about uh, growing companies uh, that she's been a part of for uh, a few times now
4: how did you so so is that an idea that has been um, that's been developing in your interest and in your career over time or is this how did you how did you end up uh, starting the company
5: I saw a number of needs that seemed to converge into a business idea. And at first I thought it was simply an organizational idea. I saw some things happening in education wherein I thought education was not advantaged by technology in the same way that music was advantaged with Spotify and Pandora and shopping was advantaged with Amazon and Shopify and and other platforms really made doing mundane things much easier and much more engaging. And it seemed like academia didn't have that technology advantage. And as with those fields, what happened was somebody built a company and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to provide this platform. And all of a sudden, uh, making a playlist uh, became possible with your thumb while you're multitasking, doing something else with your other hand. Shopping became a single click. And a lot of other things in life became a lot easier. And in America, we've seen the last four years in a row dropping enrollments in college, and this is a deep concern to me, having been an educator and, and very strongly um, supportive of educational opportunities. So it seemed like there was a technology answer. And at first, I, I did pretty well on my last company. I thought, well, maybe I'll do this as a charitable uh, uh, exercise because we, we like to help out. Um, but it became clear that it was too expensive. We needed to I needed to build something that could be sustainable and uh, be in partnership with colleges and universities so that we could, again, be the technology provider and they could do what they did, and I mm-hmm. thought, and that that seems to be working pretty well.
4: Um, it seems that innovation is at the core of the business that you're working in now. What's the hardest thing to get right about that, about innovation?
5: I think there are a lot of hard things to get right about it. I, I think that college is one of those things education is one of those things that virtually everybody has been educated to some significant degree in our country and significant being you know sort of at least to eighth grade or so which is which is not insignificant in you know in view from a historical point of view of our species it's not insignificant a lot of people who've experienced education and as such i think people think that there is a right way to do it but all of these other things happened while we were still delivering education the same way mm-hmm. Uh, the Internet happened, the World Wide Web happened, commercial platforms happened. Uh, our attention uh, is in such short supply and uh, there's a competition for attention. And the competition for attention is largely driven by people, uh, you know, by entities trying to sell us things, which is normal, this mm-hmm. is a capitalist country. So, so it's completely normal that the greatest efforts have been in getting people to buy goods and services. But less or fewer efforts have been spent in inducing people to learn something. It's just for its own sake. And so I, I personally, I saw a disparity there. And given that education is a $1.9 trillion industry, it's a bigger industry in, in, by some metrics than healthcare or defense. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it to go in and say, let's go build a sustainable enterprise that just does that. Yeah. That, that we don't really need to monetize people's data. We really don't need to, to gather data and sell it to third parties or to allow other people to see the data. We really just want to provide this better shot at becoming educated. And that, in itself, is a a really great goal.
4: Do you involve the company in creating the vision for the business, or is that more coming from you? Absolutely. Uh,
5: You know, I think on day one, there is a vision. On day 10, there's another vision. Hmm. On day 100, there's another vision. Hopefully, there's been something so sort of fundamental and true on day one, mm-hmm. that by day 100 or day 1,000 or day 10,000, it's a more fleshed out version of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the core values remain intact. But you know, clearly, as your capability grows, your vision can be bigger.
4: Right? right. What's been the hardest thing for you in being a leader?
5: I would say the only thing that I find difficult is working on something that I think is solved. And that's a hmm. personality trait, probably. Mm-hmm. I like to work on things that are either not solved mm-hmm. or difficult to solve. Uh, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a feature of um, um, people who start things, I guess. Right. Uh, when things become very routine, I can keep myself corseted for a period of time mm-hmm. and say, yes, I will stay here and I will fill out this paperwork, but it's a, I would admit it's a struggle. It's, uh, it's easy for me to walk into a room filled with perfectly clean whiteboards and an unsolvable problem mm. and go tackle it. That, that is my happy place. Right. I think that people hesitate to start something sometimes mm. because they think it's going to be too hard, or they think they might fail, and there's this sort of uh, saying that goes around, you know, what, what would you try if you knew you couldn't fail? Right. I think that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I don't think anything is worth doing unless you think you might fail. Mm. It's probably not hard enough. I mean, I think mm. most of what's worth doing in your professional life, particularly, uh, if it's worth doing, it has a chance of failure, and I think it's okay to just embrace that and say, "Okay, I'm going I'm to hit it anyway." You know, mm. you drive the line, tongue hanging out of your mouth, oh, and just <laughs> you know, go for it because the the risk of failure. Is in some sense um, a necessary element of picking a problem that's hard enough. But if a problem is hard enough, chances are it's going to have some impact if you get there. And mm-hmm. even if you don't get there, you might you might blaze a path for somebody else to get
4: there. All right. So as you look forward, what are you most excited about for the near term, for the next year, for the next decade?
5: For the near term, you know, we we have products out there that we are. Proud of with our partners, we feel like we're making a difference in people's lives. Uh, we feel like we're meeting people where they are, yeah. not where where people used to be 20 years ago or 10 years ago, before things really became cloud-based and web-based. So we feel good about that. for the For the next uh, for the very near term, I'm very excited about uh, some of the some of the new things that'll be coming out. Yeah that build on some of the things we've been able to do. Uh, For the next year or so, I'm excited uh, to see what kind of change we provoke.
4: That's great. So um, you have a special way of thinking big, you have a special energy about you that you bring to things, and uh, and you have a human connection to what you do. So it's been wonderful talking to you. It's really been neat. Thank Thank you. What a nice thing to say. Thank you so
5: much.
0: This was the first conversation of the afternoon and features Jeremy Peters uh, and Mariah from the uh, Ann Arbor District Library talking about um, the impact that streaming services have on the music industry overall. I thought it was a fascinating conversation um, to hear a couple people that have really been um, doing music um, and uh, for the past few years to really see how it has affected it from their side and I thought it was a really interesting uh, and intriguing conversation to kind of kick off our afternoon.
6: Since we were in the music industry and on the indie side, we were a little more okay with emerging technologies and trying to be inventive and playing with them a little bit. So we were cool with trying to do things like that um, and taking those kind of calculated risks. It's interesting now that music and music consumption has started leaning pretty heavily towards streaming, how important the little bits of data and information are mm -hmm. to make sure that I was obviously interested a label person yeah. and a publisher that we are getting paid, but ultimately it's sure. we're trying to get the artists paid. And those little bits of metadata and information, the collection of those and making sure they're all correct, yeah, um, is a massive job. There is all this money sitting, waiting to be collected because the data is horrible. You know, I started at Ghostly right around when iTunes started. So, yeah,
1: I was actually wondering exactly what year that would have been.
6: Yeah, so I started at Ghostly in 2003, Okay yeah um, it was right around they had just opened up iTunes to all the Indies. I remember looking at the ninety nine page contract <laughs> saying like I think this is okay, I'm not a lawyer I don't know um, that we and we very tenuously looked at that because it was something completely brand new and even as an indie we I think we were a little scared, but it was so sort of out of the realm of what had happened before but You know, having gone through that and seeing how people embraced being able to have music that was more mobile was really sort of interesting. There wasn't a really great way of kind of sampling stuff other than listening to the radio, and even that wasn't great for a long time. And I think that that relationship between the fan and the artist has changed in that it's easier as a music user, whether or not you're like a hardcore fan or you're somebody that's just kind of interested in finding out a new artist, it's a lot yeah. easier to do some taste testing.
1: I'm curious, what are like three things that have really surprised you, specifically over the last five years, in terms of the way that things have changed? And what is one prediction that you do have maybe about um, where things will go with um, sort of the music, streaming or licensing even ecosystem?
6: Probably the my prediction that one's easier than the other question. Um, (laughs) The prediction, I would say, is that um, music is going to become more experiential. So Mm -hmm. streaming, probably, it's a service. It's a functional thing. Mm -hmm. It allows you to have access to the entire world of music on your phone or on your computer desktop at work. And that's great, but it's still kind of a boring interaction and i think the sort of experience side of things is probably where stuff is going to grow and that Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean just live performance i think obviously it includes live performance but you see things like rebroadcasts Mm of um the Metropolitan Opera in movie theaters, I could see live performance happening like that. When things when festivals like Coachella sell out mm, immediately, mm-hmm. maybe it makes sense to have event like things with mini Coachellas and turn up the music really loud it's for like, an evening at a yeah. the movie theater or somewhere else.
1: The experiential like equivalent of like the, the album release party. The last <laughs> one really
6: quickly would be yeah. just the fact that a lot of the gatekeepers are gone. Like yeah. you can get your music released, and there is not much of a barrier to entry, um, and that was a big change and really good for a lot of musicians. But also makes it difficult as you're starting out because it's really it makes it harder to get from point A to point B. Yeah, if like point, point B C is would, up here. Yeah, yeah, the the distance is huge to point B. Um, And if point C is like being able to support yourself day to day as a musician, it just makes it, it pushes that further along.
0: So that's the brief overview of uh, Live at Tech Trek. Um, As we said, we'll be releasing each of these um, episodes individually so you can get the full length conversations that were had. I want to thank the Ann Arbor District Library for their partnership on this and thanks everyone for coming out and being a part of TechTrack and the overall A2Tech360 series of events. See you soon.